time and some other just conflicting schedules we were able uh weren't able to get some recordings in but we're back we're back we're back we're still going to continue this series and so definitely appreciate appreciate everyone who uh continues to listen to the last episode continues to share continues to do those things definitely 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 appreciate that um but we're definitely jumping right back into it uh, with this episode that's that's coming out, we're still again in our series to whom it may concern letters to the church. And the focus has been on the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, which is the final book in the Bible. And uh, specifically in chapter two, um, Jesus is speaking through John and he's addressing the seven churches of that time. And what we're finding is that while the words were for the church, uh, specifically those churches back in those days, there are principles and lessons and insights that we can take and very much put to our lives today, not just in the physical body church, but in ourselves as the organisms of the church. And so the first week we looked at the church of Ephesus and uh, week two, second episode, we broke down the church of Smyrna. And so for the third installment, we're going right in the order of the book of Revelations. We're going to focus on focus on the church of Pergamon. And so uh, we we find this charge to this church, again, in Revelation uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and it reads, write this letter to the angel of the Lord in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas... My faithful witness was martyred among you in Satan's city, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you who, whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up people of Israel, the people of Israel, how he taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicoletians among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sins, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who hear, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give them some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to you each one a white stone, and on that stone, will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who received it. And so with every episode, just to give you a little historical context and background, uh, Pergamon is the city and Pergamum is the church. The city was located about 50 miles north of Smyrna and Pergamum was a leading religious center in that Asia Minor territory. Uh, it was home to a lot of pagan worship, just like we read uh, in cults, including uh, Zeus and Athena and other false gods, a lot of Roman influence 
in that area. Um, Pergamum became a Roman, a Roman province around 130 BC, and like Smyrna, the people participated in and encouraged the worship of the Roman emperor. Uh, Pergamum was also known for its civilization and learning. It was noted for its pottery, tapestries, parchments. Uh, the city had a library with over 200,000 volumes and was only second largest to that of Alexandria. Uh, also, like Smyrna, the believers experienced uh, persecution for their faith in Christ. And John also notes that believers remain true to their faith and the name of Jesus Christ. And we just want to jump right into it. And the first thing I want you to really understand uh, as, as we really break down the scripture is the word of God is powerful, right? And, and John mentions that in verse 12, he, he, he says double-edged sword, right? And, and really when you think about it, it's a picture of a weapon that was used in battle, having two sharp cutting edges, right? And, and no matter how the sword was wielded, it could cut through and deep, right? And again, in verse 12, John referencing Jesus as the one who has the double-edged sword. And I want you to remember this 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 point where you're thinking about the word of God. The, it has the ability to cut true and deep, to divide truth from error. I'm going to say that again. The word of God will cut true and deep to divide truth from error. Uh, John also references a double-edged sword as the word of God being spoken by the one who holds the seven stars in his hands and who walks among the lampstands. And again, referring to Jesus. And I want you to just, again, remember a few other little points um, with regard to the word of God and it being a double-edged sword, right? The first one, the word of God will cut through all spiritually false teachings and worldly lies. The word, the word of God will separate and clearly reveal truth and error. The word of God cuts deep, much like a double-edged sword used properly on the battlefield to reveal sin and bring spiritual healing and life to those who believe. The word of God will accomplish all of that and in, in, in that it is designed and intends to accomplish when used correctly. And again, the word of God is all powerful and it can cut through a spiritual heart of stone. And I want you to think about that those things when it comes to the word of God and all that it can cut through and separate truth from error, cutting through false teachings, uh, getting into the thick of things when it comes to a stone heart. Like we, we sometimes think that we as Christians can, can do certain things and, 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 and push through, but when it ultimately boils down to it, it is through the word of God that we're able to cut through, take over and remove truth from error and even dealing with false teachings, because even though we're dealing with and talking about these things back then, those are still things that exist today. But here's a key point to remember. I want you to keep this in mind too. We can't ignore the word of God, right? We can't muzzle it or imprison it or, or not listen to it or adhere to it or not share it, right? It does nothing if we're believers and we're either ignoring the word or we're keeping it to ourselves or we're not listening to it and we're certainly not sharing it, it does nothing for the person living in rebellion, right? That doesn't do anything for anybody. 
So we have to be able to share the word of God. We have to listen to the word of God, adhere to it. We can't muzzle it. We have to shout it from the rooftops. It cannot be ignored, right? Because the word of God is powerful, right? God spoke the world into existence. His word sets people free. His word is living and active. His word can never be extinguished. His word of God, the word of God will accomplish all it's meant to accomplish and the power will break every chain, every chain, every addiction, every sickness, every thing that we deal with. The word of God is powerful and it's true. And it's something that we can hold on to that I truly believe that even in the scripture, it's it's John telling us from the beginning, it's a double-edged sword. The word of God comes through every time. And another thing to, to really understand as we really look into the scripture is God knows and sees all, including your situation. See, see, Roman rule was the power at that time in the land, right? The emperor was powerful. The, even the Roman governors placed were placed in areas and they were divided into two classes. You had the class that had power of life and death and they could wield a sword. And then you had the ones who didn't have the right to put someone to death, so they couldn't. But the crazy and amazing fact is that Jesus has a double-edged sword, and, and, and that speaks to the idea, speaks to the mindset that his authority was still higher than any type of Roman governor. See, the power of Rome was limited, but Jesus, the power that comes from a risen Savior, a risen Lord, and the understanding that power of Satan is also limited. You know, in John, in this scripture, he's relating his vision and revelation and the message that he brings to the churches. It's reassuring us, reassuring believers that God knows and sees everything and he's concerned about what's going on and loves them. And I want you to think about that for a minute. How many times do we go through our lives or go through our day to day and we we just don't think God sees us? We don't think that he understands we don't think that he's concerned. Well, let me tell you that, that without a doubt, God knows, Jesus knows exactly what you're experiencing, where you are, what you're dealing with, and he sees you and he loves you and he's and he's intervening and he's working on your behalf, even as we speak right now. And I want you to know that because see, here's the thing, just like in Pergamum, it, it wasn't easy being a Christian, Right. We, we have all this idolatry, we have all the worship, false gods, false religions, false teachings, all the things that they were dealing with in Pergamum, we're dealing with today. And one of the things I want you to, to really focus on and hold on to, and, and I think sometimes it's easier said than done, but I think the more we get in a relationship, the more we understand God's word, the more that we continue to see and watch God manifest in our lives. We can understand that this, we can understand this fact that we have to remain faithful regardless of our circumstances. I'm going to say that again. We have to remain faithful regardless of our circumstances. See, because it's not easy to remain faithful in the, in the face of immortality. Uh, immorality and false belief. That's not easy to do, right? And we could see that promoted throughout this city, but yet the believers stood firm in faith. Where is your stand in your faith right now? Look at the world we are in in 2022. 
so many things that are going on, so many things that are dividing us and pushing us and pressuring us. It almost is like we live in this pressure cooker of, of just issues and things that continue to boil up, continue to bubble up. But are we remaining faithful to what we believe in and what we're standing firm in, right? Because see, back then in, in Pergamum, the believers as we see, they were commended for refusing to recant their faith. They see that the persecution they went through did not lessen their faith or or courage to stand for Christ. See, on what what the difference was, they they may have, they may may have even become more courageous in faith and remained a faithful witness because of the things that they were enduring, right? And John affirms that the Christians in Pergamon were living in a city where Satan lives, a place known as Satan's throne, literally a place that fully embraced and centered around idol worship. Does that sound like a place you might know today? Does it sound like an area? Does it sound like a city or a world where I, idol worship seems to run rampant, whether it's athletes or religious figures or other gods or or your own self-idolatry. Something that we see every single day in our lives. Yet the Christians in Pergamum, they didn't pack up and leave. They remained, they stayed strong witnesses to the truth of the gospel. Are, the, are there people like that in our world today? I truly believe that there is. They were a light on a hill that would shine bright in the spiritual darkness of Pergamum. You see, the Christians that John were talking about and, and, and addressing, they were permanent residents of this city. They, they weren't leaving, right? And, and where we are, whether it's in your neighborhood, your state, your country, wherever you're living from, you know, and I know we talked about last week, people having, you know, having to hide their Christianity and hide their belief in Jesus Christ. But I promise and, and I encourage you, if you're in a place that you're freely freely able to share and worship, I, I would encourage you not to be shaken, not to be shifted or moved because of the things going on around you. See, because where we are is where Jesus is. Where we go is where Jesus is. And we will continue to see him manifest himself even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of being in Satan's throne when it comes to the world that we're in. And, and, and even when you talk about leaders, we talked about this in last, uh, last episode, the leader of Antipas was a disciple of John, uh, the leader, his name was Antipas, he was a disciple, and he was martyred uh, in 92 AD, and, and he was the bishop of the Pergamum church, and, and he's believed to have been roasted alive inside a bronze bull-like altar at the temple of Diana, and the believers in Pergamum would have had, would have seen this, witnessed this, and knew that this is the way that their leader was tortured and killed for his faith. But guess what? It didn't deter them. It didn't waver them. It didn't cause them to recant or turn from their faith. They continued to be faithful even in the midst of losing their leader in the way that they did. And that's something I want to really hone in on as we kind of shift um, in this episode a little bit is I want you to be aware of compromise. Beware of compromise. Because see, while they're faithful Christians, there's some in the church, they were beginning to be influenced by false teachings. And they were slowly starting to embrace and compromise a lifestyle that went 
contradictory to the teachings and living uh, of someone focused on Jesus Christ. And they found themselves in idolatry and in some immorally thing, immoral, unacceptable things. And, and some begin to welcome sexual immorality into the church and so many other things because see that that spiritual seduction was seeping into the church. And it wasn't a big, it wasn't overt, it was very subtle. And over time, it began to infect the church body if it's not confronted. And John focuses on two areas that was against the church of Pergamum. The first one was some people were following the teaching of Balaam and others were following the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And it appeared that the church and the leaders were unaware of the spiritual compromise that was happening in their bodies. And again, it's, it was a slow and quiet compromise when it came to the teaching of Balaam's. And this happened because Balaam came up with a scheme to use Moabite women to slowly and quietly seduce the people to sin, turning them to idolatry, idolatry and sexual temptation, idol worship, and committing indecent acts of immorality. And see, the Israelites knew the practice of idolatry was forbidden and would have rejected it if openly presented with it. Hear me. They willingly accepted it when they were seduced to sin and then they followed it in their desires of their hearts. And what it looks like is that some of the believers, they were just being led and embracing this ungodly idolatry as a way of life. And the church essentially is unaware of the false teachings that's beginning to get a foothold in the people's hearts. Hear me, we, we sometimes look for footholds in physical buildings, but we need to really be on guard for footholds in physical bodies because that's where it starts. You're not going to see, if you see any church or organization or anything start to turn away from what their belief is, right? The church starts to shift away. It's not because there's some foothold in the building. There's footholds in the people, okay? That's where we need to be making sure that we're aware in our lifestyles and our choices and things like that because we can be strong Christians in the church, but are we strong Christians in our homes? Are we strong Christians in our cars or in our workplaces? That's where the footholds are gonna come in, not when we're surrounded in the building, but when our bodies, our physical bodies, the organisms are surrounded in other areas. That's where we have to be on, on guard. And, and see, in, in Pergamum, the, the ungodly and powerful authorities they promoted the worship of idols and false teachings. Think about your jobs. Think about the places you go and what they allow, right? And, and just because a government makes something a law, hear me, that says something is legal doesn't make it spiritually okay when the word of God clearly says it's wrong, right? And, and, and explicit language and the use of God names in vain are wrong, but because a Christian friend you might know uses such language doesn't change the fact that it's any less sinful or egregious to God. And let us not be, be fooled and tricked into thinking that spiritual compromise or watering down our values are okay because we're going to get to that type of church in a little bit, um, but we have to be, be true to that. And the second one was a compromise from false teachings, right? Following the teachings of the Nicolaitans, right? And, and they taught that Christians had the liberty to participate in pagan orgies, Right. And by participating in acts, Christians began to accept the culture 
of idolatry rather than being a witness of God before an ungodly society. And, and I want you to think about that when we get into this, this thought of compromising, right? Because ultimately, when we think about this church in Pergamum, it comes down to two things. And, and I'm going to give it to you in a question. Do I go with my calling or do I go with the culture? And, and I think that's so, so relevant in today's world that we're in um, of what we see and what we deal with. That's really ultimately what this Christian walk has come down to. And it's already and it's really always been that. But I think more so in the world we live in now that it's calling over culture. Which one will you choose? And I want to I want to reference first John 519. It says we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of of the evil one. I'm going to say that again. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Again, I ask, do I go with my calling or do I go with culture? Because again, when you choose culture over calling, that's when you compromise. So how can you be aware of compromise? Understand which one you're choosing. Are you choosing your calling or are you choosing your culture? Because again, we, we talked about this uh, earlier, the, the slow and un, unaware compromise that we make when we allow things to give, um, we, we allow things to get a hold in our bodies, right? And, and all a compromise is, is it's when you give ground to culture. I want you to think about that compromise is, let me say it this way, if we're supposed to be flat-footed, unshaken, unmovable, what does compromise look like if I'm standing firm? Almost picture you standing in, in like a basketball stance, both feet are planted, your knees are slightly bent, you are unmovable. But a compromise could be lifting one foot. And now your balance is off. Now your weight distribution at all is off. Now the position you were in isn't as firm as it was when both feet were planted on the ground. That's compromise. Now I'm giving ground to something that can throw me off, right? And, and what is it to be a Christian today? What does that look like? Does your life, does your home, does your business does, does your claim to Jesus match the faith that you're practicing? I want you to think about that. Does it match what you say out of your mouth? Because these small compromises lead to major changes, major, major changes. It, 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 it's, we always, I think we can be, I think for the most part, we're good being on guard for the major things. We're looking for the major things. But it's those small little compromises that will get a foothold in your life and will start to chip away at your ability to stand firm and operate in your calling. I want you to think about that. And, and another question, what areas 
of your faith are you compromising? What areas of your walk are you compromising in with minute instances? Again, we're not talking about the big ones. We're talking about little ones, right? Going to work and your coworkers around you curse. And then now you curse. Small compromise. What about you're, you're going through, you know, you get around your friends or your family and, you know, they're not real big on church. And so when you get around them, you don't read the Bible as much. It takes away time. They want to hang out. Again, small compromising. What areas of your faith are you compromising that you can, can you know, don't be so focused on the front door that you allow things to come into the back window or the back door, creep through the attic, or creep through the basement. No, we have to be on guard. We have to understand that, that you know, it's never the big, it, it can be the big things, but we have to also be looking for those minor things and those minor ways that the enemy will come in and start to compromise what we do. And, and ultimately, what compromise allows you to do is when you begin to compromise your calling, you start to blend in and you start to look like the world, which quite honestly is an issue in the church. The church sometimes looks too much like the world or at least trying to, right? So do you blend in or do you stand out? That's another question to ask. What, what does your walk look like? Because see, we have to remember that in our walk, repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance means uh, that we don't go back and forth or we don't compromise our spiritual walk with Jesus. Repentance means is that we continually go back. We have to stop straddling a fence. We can't give God a portion of us. He wants all of us. We have to be committed. And when we get into these, these moments that we fall short, because here's the thing, we are going to fall short, people. We're gonna have moments of, of faltering. We're gonna have moments where we don't get it right. The world sucks. Sometimes people suck sometimes. And we have to understand that just because they do or just because the world is the way it is, I can't start to blend in and I can't start to give in to what the world is calling me to do. I have to stand up. I have to stand out and I have to continue to walk and not compromise in what says the Lord. God wants all of us. He wants all of us. Say it with me. God wants all of us 100% committed to him. Committed doesn't mean, again, you're going to get it right all the time. But we have to be bold enough to say, I want you, Lord. But we have to let go of some things in this world that, that are in culture. And guess what? That's not easy. We have to be able to build out ourselves and walk in this walk with boldness, despite what's going on around us, just like the church in Pergamum did. And so I'm asking you, even as we close this episode, I'm asking you a simple question. Are you personally fully devoted, fully committed, and willing to give God all of you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for just coming to us, Father God, and allowing us to, to gleam and learn from your word, Father God. We just 
continually give you all the honor and praise. And even right now, as we're studying the church of Pergamum, Father God, I pray supernatural strength, Father God, for anybody that's listening, wherever they are, Father God, that they continue to walk in boldness, they continue to walk in unwavering faith, that they continue to walk in an undeniable belief that you are the Lord of Lord, you're the King of Kings, and that all things go through you, Father God. I pray that your word continues to cut like a double-edged sword, Father God, not just in their lives, Father God, but even as you have given them the authority to yield and speak your word to people, Father God, that they continue to utilize your word, Father God. Believe in your word and all things that they do, Father. And anyone listening, Father God, to the sound of my voice on repeat or whenever, wherever they are in this world, Father God, I pray that they know that you love them, that you're proud of them, and that they continue to fight the good fight of faith, Father God, despite the world, despite the culture, that they stay true to the calling and never compromise who they know you to be, Father. It's in your son's name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Wow, thank you all again so much for rolling with us yet again on Vantage Point Podcast. We're gonna get this episode up as right now it's going to be available for you to share on all major platforms. We're going to get right back into the swing of this, get a few more episodes going. Also want to throw out there, we're about to celebrate year four of Vantage Point podcast here very soon. And so definitely coming up on our anniversary. And so we're going to have some special things for that. We most likely we may replay our first series ever called Leap. But again, I want to thank you all so much for rolling with us. Again, apologies on the the delay in, in getting some episodes out, but we're back. We're getting it. We're back on track. Praise God for everything that's going on in your life. I wish you the best weekend. Remember, keep seeking insight, keys, and perspective to everyday living through the lens of God. It's going to change your world and your life. God bless.